Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Welcome to our Think Humanities podcast. Well, if it's warmer weather and spring and March and April and May, it's time to talk gardening. And we have Dar Settles with us today on our Think Humanities podcast. Doris is a, a Kentucky writer. She's a master gardener, a, um, a genealogist, too, uh, with digging in uh, the past. We'll talk a little bit about that. and. Uh, not more importantly, but uh, in addition to, she's a member of our Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau and available to come to your civic club, your garden club, your uh, backyard uh, uh, gathering uh, during the, the spring, summer, winter, or fall, and talk to you about some of her interest. And uh, we promise that she'll do a good job of, of talking to you about all things uh, gardening. And we'll talk a little bit about to her ancestors and her other passion too, maybe during the winter months when it's not so warm. Doris, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me, Bill. Good to be here. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for saying that. It's uh, uh, You're uh, listed in our, our program uh, online uh, as uh, My Dirty Life, Gardening and, and History. So I want you to tell me a little bit about what, what you do in that talk and um, and what you would like to have people know that you're going to be speaking about when you come to their group. Okay, I uh, started gardening when I was a very young child. I had two grandmothers who adored gardening. One had a farm and she had probably an acre in flowers on all of her front yard. And my other grandmother's entire yard was flowers, very little lawn, um, particularly in the backyard. And so I would go visit them in the summer and learn to garden basically from them. Uh, when I would go home, my parents had no interest in gardening whatsoever, even though my father has an agriculture degree. Um, so I started gardening at their house and I basically landscaped all, all but one of their houses um, that they lived in during their lifetimes and uh, got my mother into it a little bit. And when vegetable gardening became a thing, and when my father retired, I guess, he got into vegetable gardening, but never really got into flower gardening. Um, so I talk about that, how I got there and why I love flowers. And my grandmothers had very different views of cut flowers. My one grandmother, my father's mother, cut flowers and brought them in all the time. My other grandmother said, you kill them. So she wouldn't cut flowers. I align with my father's grandmother. I like a house filled with cut flowers. So. <laughs> I've always loved fresh flowers too. I've considered, uh, at one point I considered um, going back to school and getting uh, a master's in or an undergraduate degree, um, another undergraduate degree with in horticulture. And I've worked with um, the UK Herb Guild, Herb, um, I guess it's their herb department. Uh, and with different facets of UK's agriculture and gardening um, educational programming. Um, but about that time, about the time I was considered doing that, 
I decided that I wanted to, um, well, I I was part of a group that started an organization called America in Bloom. And uh, before that, actually, um, about the time I was deciding whether or not to go to school, um, I decided I wanted to try first do the Master Gardener program, which is a an offshoot of the uh, the extension program with the University of Kentucky. Every um, every land grant institution has an extension program, and the University of Kentucky, as a land grant institution, has an extension program. And every other year, they do a uh, Master Gardener class. That's <clears throat> when I took it anyway. I think it may still be the same, but I'm not positive. Um, it's 12 weeks, it, essentially, of a master's in horticulture. So it's intense, and it's a lot of information, and uh, it was fabulous. I loved every minute of it, even the things that I learned about that I thought, I'm never going to do this. I'm not going to have a forest. I'm just not going to have a forest. But learning about it and learning about how um, how you take care of one and how you have a huge orchard and and all of the things that in Kentucky, particularly because of course they focus on Kentucky horticulture. And uh, so it's really fascinating to learn all that stuff. And so I did the Master Gardener program and began volunteering um, as a Master Gardener in several facets, one of which was the Speakers Bureau. so I began doing talks all around Kentucky, all around central Kentucky and Fayette County in particular um, on different facets of either the Master Gardener program or a particular topic that a garden club or a library or a preschool or a, a school um, was interested, might be interested in somebody coming in and talking about this, that, or the other. I've also been a member for probably 25 years of the um, Central Kentucky Herb Guild that's been around for about 60 years. So every month we learn about a new herb and uh, not all of them culinary, but a lot of them, of course, we wanna cook with. Um, these are probably the best cooks in central Kentucky. Mm. Our, our dinners every month are unbelievably fabulous. Uh, much better cooks than I. So I've learned a lot about that. So I've done a lot of programming on herbs as well. Um, but I haven't written ebooks on herbs uh, as yet. That's not to say I won't. I have included them. I did do a cookbook for a seed leaf many years ago, and I did include a lot of cooking with herbs in that. Um, so once I did the Master Gardener program, uh, I got involved in lots of different areas. And as a result of being involved through the Master Gardener program, I was the, present and involved in bringing Katie Moss Warner who at the time was the president of the American Horticulture Society and had recently retired from Disney after 20 years as their horticulture director. Um, Unbelievable woman, just fabulous. And we got her to come to Kentucky, come to Lexington and give a talk. Every year, Master Gardeners uh, and the Arboretum, uh, Friends of the Arboretum Committee put on two talks and that was that was one of our talks that year. And she said, if she came, she wanted to, following morning, she wanted to have a breakfast where we invite stakeholders in the in the Lexington community, in the Fayette County community. So we did that. 
We invited about 80 people and about 60 something came uh, uh, representing 60 something organizations. And so as they came in, I told them to, we all told them to go to tables where they didn't know anybody. And then they had time to chat and Katie led them through talking about getting out of their silos and working together and what everybody was doing. And when it was over, as people left, I was handing out something at the door and every single person that left said, as they passed by me, I had no idea this much was going on in Lexington. So we decided to start a nonprofit organization that would serve as a kind of a outreach for collaborative thinking and collaborative work in Bay County. Uh, and the American Horde Association was just beginning an organization called America in Bloom, which had a seven point interest area covering history, urban canopy, flowers, landscaping, um, environmental sustainability, civic vitality, and so forth. So we decided to start our organization along those principles. And recently, last year, we changed the name of the organization to Celebrate Lexington, uh, which I think at this point reflects more where we what we are. But we use six of those. We've come, kind of combined two of them to look at how we change things in Lexington. So we began America in Bloom Lexington, which became Celebrate Lexington. Mm -hmm. uh, and we work with organizations to combine uh, efforts and reduce effort and cost and, and time to get things done. For example, when the pandemic started, we've worked with parks from the get-go. I've uh, been very involved in, in supporting Kentucky or Lexington parks, Bay County parks. And um, Monica called, or I guess it was Chris called us and said, we can't afford because the, the city budget got hit hard uh, when the pandemic started. He said, we can't afford to buy the flowers to put in the the pots downtown. If we bought you the pots and the soil and the seeds, could you get enough gardeners to grow the plants at home so that we can plant them? Well, as a master gardener, master gardener has worked with Blackburn who has a horticulture program. And I happen to know about that because I'd worked with them on several master gardener events. And I said, why don't I put you in touch with the head of the, of the horticulture program at Blackburn? That year, the city saved $15,000 by working oh. with Blackburn. And you're talking about the Blackburn uh, Correctional Facility out on Leestown. Correct. Um, and they've, they're recently expanding that program, uh, I hope, because in part of their partnership now with Parks. So they're working with very closely together now with Blackburn to... Um, to provide the flowers and, and plantings in the spring um, for the Fayette County area, which I think is just fabulous. So that's just one yeah. situation where we've been able to put people together that need something. It's not that we want to get out and do the work because- There's a lot of it to be done. And there, you there is, there is. Yeah. Uh, and the same is true of Master Gardeners. The idea of uh -huh. a Master Gardener is not to go do the work. Uh, people can't call master gardeners and say, I want somebody to come landscape my yard. That's not what master gardeners do. We provide information. Uh, and the Speakers Bureau is a great way to do that. Are the master gardeners um, headquartered at the Arboretum or do they take 
No, not. I, it seems like to me that the Arboretum is always, uh, the Arboretum uh, folks, uh, for those of you who are outside of uh, Lexington, outside of Central Kentucky, maybe even outside Kentucky, period, um, is a, a beautiful uh, inside the city. Uh, how large is it, Doris? Uh, how many acres would you say? I think it's over 300 acres. 300 acres. Um uh, surrounded by uh, neighborhoods and the University of Kentucky, but certainly uh, protected within with uh, walking trails, beautiful gardens, uh, beautiful vegetable gardens. Um, and but a lot of of the ma it seems like to me I've a lot of the master gardening or or the work that's done there is done by the master gardeners and they're the volunteers at the at the Arboretum. No, that's actually not true. There are master gardeners that volunteer at the Arboretum, um, but the Arboretum is a completely separate entity from hmm. Extension. So Molly, the director, may call Jamie, the director of master gardeners, and say, I'd like master gardeners to be involved with this or that or the other. Hmm. Um, for many years, the master gardeners pretty much ran the vegetable garden there. Uh, and and I was on the committee that that created and and took care of the herb garden there yeah I don't believe is still there um and actually the person that began the arboretum was a good friend of mine i lived half a mile from the arboretum for 30 years and so that was our go-to walking spot it was fabulous i really miss it um but marcia was marcia ferris start is had the idea to start the arboretum and worked tirelessly to make it happen and she was actually on our on the Celebrate Lexington board of directors until she passed away. Um, mm -hmm. And she is one of our community champions. Celebrate Lexington every year names a community champion. And our first was Isabel Yates, who mm. was vice mayor of Lexington and a tireless community volunteer. Um, and we were sitting around thinking, we want to create an Isabel Yates community champion award but what can we give to isabel she doesn't need another plaque or another certificate or a trophy or anything so we went round and round and round and we finally came up with planting a daffodil drift oh so every year we plant a thousand daffodils oh my goodness uh and right now actually if you're driving around new circle road from harrodsburg road to nicholasville road when you come up to the sign that says get off here for Waveland, turn to look to the right, and the entire hillside is filled with 3,000 daffodils. And they're they're in bloom now? They are coming up and beginning to bloom right now. Oh, goodness. Uh, that That is a, a must-see for me, for sure. Um, 3,000, that, that must be amazing. It is. And then after the daffodils begin to, well, this is happening right now, too. Uh, we decided also to make it a pollinator garden. Hmm. So once the daffodils are gone, what's come up are um, purple cone flowers, which is hmm. Fayette County's official city flower. Mm -hmm. And that's something Celebrate Lexington did as well. Mm -hmm. We took that to the council and got the purple cone flower named as the city flower. And zinnias, which are the go-to easy pollinator flower. Mm -hmm. um, so it will be full of zinnias and purple coneflowers all summer long. It's Echinacea purpura is the native name. Uh -huh. 
and it is a native plant to Kentucky. So it's highly mm -hmm. uh, sturdy and, and isn't going to get killed off or anything. It's not aggressive, so it won't take over your yard. Um, uh, we also, in case you weren't aware, the Burr Oak is Fayette County's uh, official tree. Burr Oak and, and the Purple Cone can be also grown in backyards in small spaces? Yes. Yeah. The burr oak will eventually get enormous, but uh, as, as a maple will, um, but it's, I had one at, at my old house um, in the front yard, a young one, fairly young. Well, what, um, let's go all the way back uh, to your grandmothers again. Uh, what do you think it was about being with them and seeing their, their yards, uh, learning from them, uh, one cut, one didn't, that struck you as a as a little girl was it just was it the beauty was it I mean uh, let, let's face it I mean I I, I don't know this uh, as much firsthand uh, my wife would uh, get a big hearty laugh out of this if she heard me on this podcast which she probably will say that um, that I had anything to do with our yard or or gardening but I, I mean we we all know how tough it is I've gone through the uh, the battle of the vegetable gardens many times. Uh, uh, I've always uh, tried to grow the perfect tomato and uh, still <laughs> battling that one. As are we all. Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, if it was easy, everybody would do it. A lot of people attempt it and give up. What is it about um, gardening that attracted you in a way that uh, you've made a, a life of it? I think part of what you said is why because I saw the disappointments on occasion. And yet, so you just rip that out and put something else in there. You, the, the level of flexibility it requires and acceptance of, of um, defeat <laughs> on occasion. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet the beauty that it can provide is astounding. Um, and how it benefits nature the number of, of butterflies and birds and everything in my parents and my grandparents and um, farmer grandmother's yards were, was just amazing. Um, so I learned about that, the ecological benefit to it, probably less, neither of them. Well, my farmer grandmother did grow vegetables, but not, that was not her main interest. The, that was the business interest part of it, not the joy part of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what I just said, joy, it brings joy. And joy doesn't have to come from things that are perfect. Joy can, can come from effort. It can come from <laughs> defeating the natural world and making it what you want it to be, um, that kind of thing. And so bringing joy to the world uh, and to myself first but to the rest of the world, because then it's visible to the rest of the world, uh, is what I love about it. And I think that's why I wrote the book um, that just got published early this year, the children's picture book, the first and only picture book I've written. But several years ago, when I was doing talks, um, I met a woman from Louisville that did programming that tried to bring children into the world. And Richard Lowe's No Child Left Inside had just come out. Yeah, you've mentioned that in your uh, in the write-up. Tell me, tell me about that book. I think I'm familiar with it, but uh, remind uh, all of us uh, about No Child Left Inside. 
in the last 50 years, um, so we're beginning with my generation, there's been a, a definitive move to inside and it probably started with television. So today with all the electronic equipment, there's a, a tendency uh, and it's kind of overtaken kids' lives so that they don't get out and learn about the natural world and learn about the joy that comes from growing uh, plants and from having cut flowers and from eating the vegetables that you have. And, and in the 70s and 80s, there was a little bit of a move back to that as the survivalist kind of thing. But that was really not, I didn't see that as much as a joyful endeavor, but a necessary endeavor. We need to, to grow our own food and get rid of the pesticides and so forth. I started working with her and doing presentations at juvenile justice conferences and education conferences and uh, social, social work, uh, mental health conferences about getting kids outside. There's, there's Richard Love talks, it's got a whole chapter on the mental health benefits of just sticking your hands in the dirt. The ability to get outside and, and be in the sun and feel the wind on your face and feel the sun on your face or arms and play in the dirt. Uh, if you think of why were, why were sandboxes so popular with kids? Mm, yeah. uh, why, why did that suddenly become not popular with kids? So we need to, we need to get some back yeah. to that and just play with the malleable soil and, and get plants in there and, and make things happen. Um, so when I read No Child Left Inside, I was just, I totally agreed with it. And uh, I think he makes some excellent points about the benefits of the natural life. Uh, and it doesn't have to supersede or eliminate the technological life. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, the te technological life can help us in a huge way. Um, the, all the apps, I've got three apps on my phone that if I don't know something, I can just point my phone at it and tells me what it is. Well, tell us a little bit more about your book. The, the Lyra Claris Flowers book uh, is about, a, it's semi-autobiographical. It's about a little girl who learns to garden from her grandmother. And when she spends some time with her in the summer, she they cut flowers and every day they take a bouquet of flowers to a neighbor to bring them joy. So when she gets home and decides to plant her own garden because her parents are far too busy and just not interested, then she's suddenly has all these flowers and filled up every vase in the house. And then she remembers that her grandmother said joy is to share. So she takes a bouquet and goes next door to her neighbor and gives her a bouquet. And every day she goes to another neighbor or friend and gives them a bouquet of flowers until she gets to the neighborhood curmudgeon's house. And everything in his yard is dying. And she's just really disappointed. And she doesn't want to go see him because he yells at kids for when balls go in their yard or when they walk across his yard, get off my yard. Um, and that's actually based on my former neighbor um, one day who was a kind of a gardener. Um, but my son cut through his yard to see a friend one day and George came out and said, what do you think grass is for walking on? <laughs> so, so she finally goes up to his door and he comes out and wants to know where she got the flowers. And she says, I grew them. And 
he suddenly gets sad and she says, I can help you learn to grow flowers. So they, they become hmm. gardening partners and sharing the flowers with everybody in their neighborhood. Yeah. So it was just a fun yeah. little way to get people. And then the last page is how to grow zinnias because oh. zinnias are such an easy one to uh -huh. grow uh -huh. and are so, so beneficial for the environment that I take them through. And then every book, when it's bought from me anyway, or, or at an event, um, gets a little packet of zinnia seeds to go with it, which are, of course, available everywhere. But I want to make sure they have everything they need to go ahead and do it. And my publisher, Shadeland House Modern Press, which is in Lexington, said, I think we should do a journal. And I said, great, I love it. So in uh, late summer, Lyra Clara's Gardening Journal came out. And the first several pages are journaling, uh, writing for the kids have to record what they planted, when they planted it, mm -hmm. uh, how, they, how they saw the plants grow and when the first bloom opened and that sort of thing. And mm -hmm. then all the way through to fall when the first frost comes uh, and how they cleaned up the garden. And then the rest of the book is filled with flower activities and coloring pages and that sort of thing. Um, so it's maybe an even better way to force kids into learning about the seasons and how the seasons affect nature and how nature can affect the seasons. Yeah. So I've enjoyed working with it. I've gone into a lot of schools and I've got several more school uh, visits coming up. Good. Where I'll, uh, talk with the kids about my life as a writer and my life as a gardener and um, why it's important to get out in, in nature and yeah. take some hikes. There's a, one of the activities is a nature scavenger hunt. And a couple of the schools have had an area where we could mm -hmm. go out and, and they could do their own scavenger hunt. Oh, um, neat. So yeah. it's, it's fun to do. And of course, I talk to garden clubs and um, that sort of thing. So, Well, congratulations on that. It's not, uh, it, that's not an easy task uh, either uh, to write a book and get it published and have a journal in it and put the seeds together and all of that. Uh, uh, you have another passion and another interest, and we're going to talk briefly about that. Um, we're going to take a, a, just a brief pause and hear from our good friends at the Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing at Spalding University, and we'll be back right after this. Spalding University's Low Residency MFA in Creative Writing prepares students to publish, produce, and find professional success. Alumni publish books with top presses, write for television and film, and have plays produced around the country. They work as editors, professors, media professionals, content developers, and more. Writers thrive at Spalding's Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing. Learn more at spalding.edu slash MFA or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Doris, the other talk that uh, you are uh, doing for Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau is uh, titled history hound and that's uh, may, maybe something that you've been doing all your life or maybe that's a, sort of a, a newfound passion uh, working on the genealogy and family history. Tell us briefly about uh, that talk and about your exploration in that area. Well, another thing I used to do with one of my grandmothers, I've always loved listening to family stories, which is of course, by definition, history. 
Um, and I used to go with my grandmother. My family came from New York and one ancestor came from North Carolina in the 1770s to what is now Morgan County, Kentucky, and stayed there for over 200 years. And um, so I'm probably related to everybody in Morgan County that's been there any amount of time at all. Uh, so grandmother and I would go up on usually on 4th of July and spend a week at, uh, at, in Morgan County at West Liberty and go around and visit with people she knew growing up. Um, and I would sit and listen to them talk about their lives growing up. And so I started writing down and, um, recording and, and putting together stories and people to amass a genealogy of sorts. I didn't know what that was at the time. Uh, I was probably 12 when I started writing things down and I didn't have a tape recorder, unfortunately, or a video camera, of course, or any of that. Um, this would have been in 62, I think. And I just kept doing that. And about the time that the genealogy library in Frankfurt opened up. I took my, I made my grandmother go with me. This is my mother's mother. And we sat there and went through the materials. And it was at that spot that I realized my grandparents were related. This was not good news for my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> and she refused to believe it. But if you're the first 12 families in Morgan County, who else are you going to marry? <laughs> Eventually, there's going to be some cross pollination. Actually, the ancestor that I went into the DAR on, uh, and I've got at least 11 more, um, I'm related to in five different ways hmm. through both my grandmother and my grandfather, because they both grew up in the Morgan County area. Um, so then I went to college, went to UK, and I had a professor named William Jansen who was the first folklore PhD in the country. And I took one of his classes and was just hooked. And every assignment he gave us was to go gather family stories. So when I had an assignment, I'd go pick Memo up and we'd go out to Morgan County and she'd find somebody for me to interview, usually with a tape recorder at the time. And I remember one incident there was with Dolly, who was 93 and this would have been in 70. So her memory goes way back into the previous century. And she was just fascinating, sharp as a tack. She knew, remembered everything. And she, she, she would just tell story after story after story until grandmother got fed up and wanted to call. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently all of those stories are in the archives at Margaret I. King Library at UK which I keep saying I'm going to go get, but I haven't yet, but maybe that'll be my next book. Mm -hmm. uh, so then the internet happened, of course, and I got married and had, had a child. So my interest in it peaked even more. And so I've done a tremendous amount of, of research into both sides of my family. My, my mother's side more than my father's because of the access I had through that grandmother and going to Morgan County. Um, but I just, how Kentucky came into being and how uh, the things that people did and the reasons why they came and where they went and 
why they stayed is just fascinating. Right now I'm writing uh, another book that's due the end of this month about Kentucky's Kentucky's role in the War of 1812, which was enormous. Over 66% of the people killed in the War of 1812 were Kentuckians. Four really? every five military age man served in the War of 1812. And the sitting governor, Isaac Shelby, was the uh, is still to this day the only sitting governor to lead troops into battle. He was elected as to a second term, to a fifth term. He was Kentucky's first governor. And he was elected to a second term because we saw the War okay. of 1812 coming. And of course, mm-hmm. Henry Clay was one of the war hawks that started, jump-started the War of 1812. So we have a a large role that we played in the War of 1812. Well, look um, look for the name um, Stephen Trigg at the uh, the Battle of Blue Licks. And uh, as you may know, that's where Daniel Boone's son was also right. killed. And uh, after the, the war was over, but they were still battling uh, when news didn't travel quite as fast. But uh, Trigg is a is a member uh, of our family, um, Trigg County, that sort of thing, long mm-hmm. after his death. But uh, it's fascinating. I, I didn't know 66%. That, that's that's quite a high number. It is indeed. Uh, all of that's, uh, that, that, that keeps, you, uh, keeps you awake at night and up early in the morning, doesn't it? It really does. I just, I'm just fascinated by how we got here. And the... Was it Einstein that said, I stand on the shoulders of others? Whoever that was. Yeah. That's my focus about history. I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of all those that came before me. When will that book be published? That should be out October 1st. Oh. Uh-huh. And then I have another book on prohibition in Bardstown. That my goodness. A couple of years ago. That's available now. And my husband's family's, well, my grandparents, when they left Morgan County, my father, my grandfather went to UK and then World War II was beginning. And so they, um, after two years at UK, the military asked him to go to UofL Dental School because they needed dentists mm. in the War of 1812. I mean, the, sorry, yeah, <laughs> World War I. Yeah. And so he went to <laughs> UofL and I think three years got his dental license and, um, by then the war was over. So he bought a dental practice in Bardstown. So that was really the first family member that left Morgan County uh, and Mm. they moved to Bardstown. So that's my connection to Bardstown. And then I went to work for the Kentucky Standard right out of college and met my husband, whose family has been in Nelson County since the 1770s. And um, so I know a lot of people there. And I wrote that book with Dixie Hibbs, who is a bourbon everything i've uh, heard of her i've never met her but i've been told i need to do uh, i need to meet her she and i just it, i mean it's hard to end the meeting with her. <laughs> we just have so much fun together she is such a font of knowledge yeah and uh has been get given many bourbon awards because of the mm-hmm. level of her involvement and interest in the mm-hmm. bourbon, bourbon history and bourbon mm-hmm. industry over the years. She, of course, was mayor for, of Bardstown for a while as well. Um, so she and I had a blast writing that book. Well, those are uh, things to look forward to, Dar Settles. You sound like um, uh, 
a very important, uh, if, if we didn't already know, member of our Speakers Bureau at Kentucky Humanities. And uh, I would think uh, uh, either of these topics or both would be uh, great fun uh, and uh, interesting for an audience. Um, our website, kyhumanities.org, and then Speakers Bureau, a little pull-down tab. Very easy to contact uh, the speakers, to, to contact uh, Doris, to get a date and time on your calendar. And uh, she'll make the, the visit to, to your group, uh, if not in person, uh, via Zoom. And um, um, I'm sure that uh, maybe if it is in person, there'll be a package of uh, zinnias uh, in your future uh, for the for the springtime. Adars, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks for having me, Bill. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.